Church, we are launching our brand new series. It's called Aotearoa. Aotearoa, looking back to move forward. Looking back to move forward. It's a brand new series, and it's, it's, it's really, it's based on a series that we do every February where we're just given it a new, a new name. <laughs> we're just given it a new name. And if you, if you want to know why, go back and listen to a series, that we, a message that I did on woke ideology. But anyway, Aotearoa, looking back to move forward. What is this series about? This series is about looking, um, looking back into our past and looking at, at lessons and how we can apply it to us today and so that we can choose the very best for our future now. That's what our series is all about. And as I was thinking about this series, I started thinking about this father. This father, he's a farmer. He's got twin sons, and they're, they're about eight years of age. And these, 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 his eight-year-old sons, twin sons, they are so different. So if you've got kids, we know how different our kids can be, but his sons were so different. They were twins. One was extremely optimistic, and the other one was a complete pessimist, right? One was really positive, the other was really negative. So he decided to do a bit of a test to see how different his sons are. And so Christmas Eve rolls around, and at nighttime, he, he decides to, to go to his um, pessimistic son's room, and he put loads of, while he's sleeping, put loads and piles and piles of toys in his room. Wants to see how he's going to react. In his optimistic son's room, he puts a pile of horse manure, horse manure into his room. And so he goes, well, I wonder how my sons are going to react. And so Christmas morning rolls around, so he decides to check on him, and he peeks into his uh, son who's very pessimistic, and he's sitting there, and he's just sitting on the bed. He hasn't opened any of his toys. He's just sitting there, looking at his toys suspiciously like this. What's the catch? What's the catch of all these toys? And he, the father just sighs and heads off to the optimistic's room, uh, son's room. And as he gets into the optimistic son's room, all he hears is this incredible laughter coming from his room. And he goes, what's going on? He gets in there and the son's like waist high in horse manure. And he's like shoveling this horse manure all over the place. He's like throwing it over his shoulder into the air. And he's laughing hysterically. And the father, father says to son, son, what's going on? What's What's wrong? And he goes, Dad, I woke up this morning and there's horse manure in my room. So there's got to be a pony around here somewhere. <laughs> Come on. Come on now. When you look at your life and you see horse manure all around you, come on. Well, how are you looking at life? You know, you, here's the thing. This is true. Life is hard. We know that. If, if, <laughs> as soon as you leave mum's home, dad's home, life is hard. You realize, oh no, you know, um, going flatting with my mates isn't as cheap as I thought it was going to be, right? And, you, and, you, and life is hard, even as a teenager living at home. It can be tough. But life is hard. We go through stuff. Here's the thing even though if you've got all the material things in the world, you can still be miserable. In fact, some of the strongest people I know have been through some stuff. Some of the strongest people you know have been through some incredible suffering. People have done things unfairly, treated them unfairly. But yet they begin to see hope in every situation. They begin to see hope within the manure. There's got to be a pony somewhere, right? Some of the strongest people I know, they refuse. They refuse to have a victim mindset. Because this is true, right? You can be a victim without a victim mindset. Everyone, everybody in this room has been a victim. Every single one of us has been oppressed at some stage of our life. But you can be a victim without a victim mentality. Some of the strongest people I know have been through stuff, and they refuse 
to a victim mentality. My past does not define me. There is always hope before me. See, I don't know at the bottom of every horse manure there's a pony, but unless you begin shoveling, you will never know. If you're looking for a title for my message this morning, it is this, from victim to freedom. From victim to freedom. When I think about a story of our past, going back to the 1800s, a story that, that, that paints a great picture of this is a man by the name of Piripi Tomata Akura. Piripi Tomata Akura. Everyone say Piripi? Piripi actually means Philip. Piripi, everybody say Tomata Akura. Here you go, here we go. Piripi Tomata Akura. In the 1830s, and this man is incredible. This man introduced Christianity to his Ngati Poro Iwi on the East Coast. He introduced Christianity to the whole area. In fact, years later, when, when European missionaries came to Ngati Poro, when they came to the East Coast, they were astonished to find that already there was already churches set up in every, every tribe, every village. There were churches in place. People were reciting the gospel. That, some of them didn't have gospels. They were reciting it off by heart, singing psalms and, and, and reciting the book of Ephesians, even though they didn't have this book. They were astonished that this, there, was a, there was already a Christian system happening up and down the East Coast, all because of this man, Piripi to Matakura. Incredible. He taught his iwi how to read and write in their own language. This is the 1830s. Piripi to Matakura was incredible. He had, he had a call from God, and he went to his people, and he takes the gospel message there. He truly was a Maori missionary. In fact, when you do a careful study of the missionary era of the 1800s, what you'll discover is that European missionaries, they had little success, but not that much. But what you do discover is that Maori themselves were the most effective in taking the gospel to their people, the most effective. In fact, by 1854, there, will be, there was only 23 European missionaries in the entire country. That's a, and that's double the amount that they had that they had in the 1820s. So the European missionaries doubled. Then we look at the Māori missionaries, 558 Māori engaged in missionary activity among their own people. In the 1830s, it was about 230-odd. They were incredible engaging their own people. Māori like Ripaho. I love Ripaho. I love telling the story of Ripaho. Ripaho was instrumental in bringing reconciliation between Te Arawa of Rotorua and Ngāti Hoa of Waikato. It's a credible story. How did he do that? He, do, he did this by sharing the gospel message to the, to the warrior who killed Tarore, the 12-year-old daughter of the Christian chief Ngākuku. And because of that, it led to reconciliation and forgiveness. Ripaho would preach the gospel all the way down to the lower parts of the North Island, to Ōtaki. And he'll take Tarori's Bible down there, and it makes its way all the way to the South Island. Incredible, incredible story. But do you know what Piripi, Tomatakura, and Ripaho had in common? What they had in common is that they were both slaves. They were both slaves. Both of these men were taken as victims. They were take both were victims of the musket wars of the 1820s. The musket wars spanned the whole country. North to south, it was brutal. It is said that more people died during the musket wars than, how, than uh, the, the amount of soldiers we lost during World War I. It was brutal. 
Slaves, thousands of slaves were taken. And Piripi to Matakura and Ripaho, they were, they were part of the slaves taken up north to the northern tribes, taken up north to, to work as slaves, to, to work the land, to produce crops so that they can in turn buy more, buy more muskets. This is what's their job. But also part of their role was to take the, 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 the children of the warriors, take their children to the missionary school. And why would they take them to the missionary school? So they can learn to read and write. And here's the thing. They take these kids to the missionary school to learn to read and write. What are they learning to read and write? The gospel. The gospel of Luke. The leaders of Ephesians. They're learning to read and write in, in their own language. Read, and they're hearing the gospel in their own language. And they're hearing the book of Ephesians in their own language and Psalms in their own language. And these, these slaves are in turn learning to read and write themselves. And, and, they're, and they're learning the gospel message. And slowly but surely, the northern tribes be, be, become followers of Jesus. And now, including these slave owners. And these slave owners, they're like, oh my gosh, we're following Jesus and we're reading the gospel. How can we have slaves when these men are our brothers and sisters in Christ? How can we have a slaves? So what do these slave owners do? They release their slaves. This is the 1830s. This is it's the opposite thing happened in America 30 years later. If you're familiar with American history, what happened in the 1860s? It was the American Civil War. Why was there a civil war? Because the southern states refused to release their slaves. And they set up their own, um, they were trying to set up their own, the Confederation of America, the Confederates, right? And war, civil war broke out. I'll tell you, Maori ability to embrace the gospel and totally be transformed is inspiring. It inspires me. And um, me reading back into these stories, so these slave owners, they're now released, and they head back to their tribes. You know, when they go back to their tribes, they don't preach to their tribes, okay, now that we're back, we need to go back and revenge. We need to get what they did to us. They wiped out our people. We need to go back and have revenge on these guys. They don't do that. What do they do? They go back to their people, and they begin to preach Jesus. They begin to preach love your enemy, reconciliation. Incredible. Incredible. Does this story sound familiar? When I, hear, when I begin to look back, at my, heart, my mind goes to Jesus. And it certainly goes to Joseph in the book of Genesis. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with, with me to Genesis chapter 37. Verse 3 reads like this. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And Israel is Jacob. Jacob, the son of, of Isaac. Isaac, the son of Abraham. Jacob's name gets, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And hence his children are called the children of Israel. Okay. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Because he has been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. And this is where we get this musical called Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat. I'm not too sure if it was a Technicolor dream coat, but it was an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved more than any of them... They hated him. You've got to be careful when hate gets into your heart. When hate gets into your heart, you know, it will lead to a place of a victim mentality. And when you go down to a place of victim mentality, then, then you feel everyone's against me, everyone's oppressed, and I don't care how I treat other people because I deserve something from this. That's exactly where the brothers started thinking. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Let's go down to verse 26. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. 
and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. Oh, that's so nice of them. Let's not kill him. He's our brother. Let's just sell him into slavery. They're so nice, aren't they? Not. See, Joseph was a victim of what his brothers had done to him. Sold him into slavery, his own brothers. He was truly a victim, but yet he refused to have a victim mentality. What did Joseph do? He picked himself up in his suffering, and he chose not to be bitter. Because what we learn in the story is that, that Joseph gets sold into slavery in Egypt. These Ishmaelites, Ishmaelites go to Egypt, and they sell him to slavery to Potiphar. Potiphar is part of Pharaoh's guard, the, 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 the some of his key guys, get sold to Potiphar. But, but Joseph refused to have a victim mentality. Now, how do we know that? Because let's read in, in Genesis 39. Let's, let's begin to read what it says there. When his master saw that Yahweh was with him, that Yahweh gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Potiphar trusted the slave with everything he owned. You can only imagine what Joseph did. Joseph didn't just get sold of a slave and he go, oh, woe is me. This is my lot in life. I'm just going to do the bare minimal, whatever they say. When we begin to read this, it's easy to see that Joseph scrubbed the floors. I'll scrub the floors, but I'm going to scrub the walls as well. Because you know what, I'm, not gonna, I'm, I, I'm in my suffering right now, but I'm not going to stay there. Because when we allow suffering to keep us in a place of hurt, it leads us down a dangerous road of bitterness, hate, and unforgiveness. And we begin to perpetuate their thinking. And it keeps us down. And it leads us to a place of, I don't, I don't care. About what I don't care about this person, I don't care about the world, and I don't care if I hurt people. And when we begin to act it out, and our life becomes worse, Joseph does the, does the opposite. He chooses not to be bitter, but to make the world around him bitter. Because you know why? Because that's how we honor God. Joseph loved God, he worshiped God. And when he, when he began to honor God, he had no choice because if I'm going to honor God, I'm not going to stay here in my bitterness. By honoring God, I'm going to make the world around me better. Even though I am being oppressed, even though they're coming against me, even though I'm a slave, I'm going to still make my world better. How many times have you been put, uh, maybe if you're in employment and you're working in a job and you get the dumb jobs. You ever been given the dumb jobs? And like, like why am I doing this? Man, I've been here for the, this new person should be doing this dumb job. I deserve, be careful we fall into this victim mentality. I deserve, you know, begin to work and give, give it your all. Because I'm here to honor God. How do I honor God? I choose not to be bitter, but make the world around me better. That's how we honor God. As we continue to read the story of Joseph, and, and if you're familiar with the story, we know what happens next. You know, he's in charge of Potiphar's household. But all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife looks at Joseph and goes, man, this, he's a good young, good-looking young man. You know, and he's in charge of everything. So he's actually, in being in charge of something, that's quite attractive. You know, people get attracted to people who are in charge of things, and that looks really attractive. And, and, and then he, she wants to sleep with him. You know, and do you know Joseph? Joseph could have, 
if he had this victim, you know, here's the thing. If when you have a victim mentality, you're just like, I'm owned. I'm owed something. Joseph said, you know what? I'm a slave. Yeah, I'll sleep with Potiphar's wife. I deserve that. I deserve, I, I, I deserve to get something of my own back. And this is what happens. We don't care how it affects people around us because I'm owed something. But Joseph chose to honor God instead. He said, I'm not going to get bitter, but I'm going to make the world around me better, even if it means being thrown into prison. And that's exactly what happened. Joseph refused, so she cries rape. He ends up in prison. In his suffering again, he's in prison. Now you think, okay, Joseph, now's your time to wallow in your sorrows, but he refuses. You can take everything from me, but you cannot take hope. When the world seems to be dishing horse manure on me, you can dish as much as you can, but I'm going to keep shoveling. There's got to be a pony around here somewhere. He chooses not to be bitter, but to make the world around him better. That's how we honor God. Verse 22. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. He's like, oh my gosh, this young guy, this guy here in prison, I've never seen anyone like this guy. I trust this guy. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. Verse 23, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because he trusted him. Because Yahweh was with Joseph and gave him success in, in whatever he did. Here's the thing, when you honor God, when everyone's throwing horse manure on top of you, when you begin to rise up, even in your suffering, and you stand up and you keep moving forward, God will honor you. God will honor you because you honor those around you, even when they don't deserve it. God honors you when you honor those who don't deserve it. To cut a long story short, it's because the long story goes chapters after vast chapters. Joseph is plucked out of prison because Pharaoh has a dream, and, and Joseph interpreted dreams, um, people's dreams in prison, and it came true. And they said, hey, this is Hebrew in prison, he interpreted my dream, it came true. So they pull him before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him his dream. And Joseph goes, actually, I don't interpret dreams. It's God. God interprets dreams. You know, that's, how we, that's the humble way to go. It's God, not me. It's God. Anyway, Joseph interprets his dream through the help of God and tells Pharaoh, this strange, this is a strange dream you had, but this is what's going to happen. Your whole land's going to be, there's going to be this severe famine that's going to, that's going to affect the entire world. Unless you do something about it, you're all going to perish. So what does Pharaoh do? He makes him prime minister. Joseph is now prime minister. And what does Joseph do? He saves Egypt. Not just Egypt, but all the other nations around him. He then goes on and saves his family. He brings his father back. He brings his brothers back. He brings all his family, 70 and the household, back to, to Egypt under his protection. Because throughout this, Joseph refused to have a victim mentality. Keep shoveling. There's a pony around here somewhere. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. I love, this, I love this passage. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us, pays us back for all the wrongdoings we did to him? His, go down to verse 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. <laughs> we are your slaves. You know, Joseph never asked himself this question. Do my brothers deserve forgiveness? He never once asked that question. You know why? Because he forgave them anyway. Why? Because wallowing in your suffering doesn't do you any good. 
all it does is lead you down a road of bitterness, resentment, and misery. And boy, does misery love company, doesn't it? Because if you surround yourself with people who just perpetuate this victim mentality, nobody's going to win, and certainly not you. Forgiveness frees you from the shackles of victim mentality. Yes, I've been unfairly treated. Yes, my dignity has been trampled on. Yes, I've been talked about. But I'm not going to live there. I'm not going to camp there. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to pick myself up in my suffering, and I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to camp there and live there. I'm going to move forward, and I'm going to honor God. How do I honor God? By choosing not to be bitter and to make the world around me better. Because you have a choice. With every situation that comes your way, every time that you have been offended, every time you have been made a victim because of someone else who has unfairly treated you, you have a choice to be bitter or make the world around you better. Because when we make the world around us better, that's how we honor God. We honor those who don't deserve to be honored. Verse 19, but Joseph said to them, you idiots. Oh, sorry, the wrong translation. Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. I love this. He never focused on his issues. He never focused on his suffering. But instead, he chose to honor God and bless those around him. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the savings of many lives. Now listen, what Joseph isn't saying is that, oh, you know, God planned that his brothers would do this to him. He's not saying that. And God doesn't plan for you to go through suffering. God doesn't plan that either. But here's the thing. God can take a negative human intention and give you an opportunity to turn it around. Did you get that? It's important for you to understand. Because God will give you an opportunity to turn it around. It's your opportunity. What you do with that opportunity is up to you. So what does this opportunity look like? It looks like forgiveness. It looks like love. It looks like Jesus. It's saying, I'm not going to stoop down to your level. I'm not going to let bitterness keep me down. Choose to rise above by forgiving, by forgiving those who don't deserve it. That's how we honor God. You have a choice to be bitter or make the world around you bitter. So what does this mean for us? It means you get to choose. Remain a victim or you can choose to be free by forgiving those around you. When in your suffering you pick yourself up, in spite of the fact you're being hurt, in spite of the fact you're being mistreated, in spite of the fact that you have been forgotten, and you choose not to be bitter, but to make the world around you better. That's how we honor God, just like Joseph, just like Piripito Mataakura, just like Ripaho. So how do you overcome suffering in your life? It's like, that's the question we all want to know. How do we overcome suffering? How did you do it? Want to know the answer? But being a better person. 
How do you do that? It's hard. It takes responsibility. Do you want to have a meaningful life? Then everything you do matters. Every choice you make matters. Nothing great is easily won. That's why you can have all the material things in the world and still be miserable. If it's just been handed to you, you can still be miserable. Nothing great is easily won. You know, if I entered a race and I came last and someone gave me a gold medal, it would be meaningless to me. One, I didn't work hard and I didn't deserve it. But when we go through tough sufferings, we pick ourselves up and we move forward through that. And we, we give people respect that they don't deserve. We forgive them and love them when they don't deserve it. And we get through on the other side. Come on. Life becomes a little bit more meaningful. And that is what a Christian life is. Jesus says, carry your cross. Don't just die there. He doesn't say, plant yourself and die there. What Jesus says, carry it. Being a Christian doesn't mean that all your troubles go away. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you're supposed to be rich. Being a Christian means you're going to be carrying your cross. And that's how you live a meaningful life, by carrying your cross. Don't wait for the person to say sorry. Nine times out of ten, they've moved on. And you have no idea. In fact, they have no idea that you're still living in that offense, right? And you play these little mind games and thinking, oh, I bet you they're having a good time. Man, they deserve to be not having a good time. And we're perpetuating that thinking. It's not good. It's time to be free of that. When did Jesus forgive us? At the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he's speaking right down to the next generations because we're the ones who put them there. Jesus is a victim of our sin. And yet Jesus forgave us before we even said, I'm sorry. He didn't wait for you to say sorry. He forgave you anyway. He died for you when you didn't deserve it. He gives you a gift called grace. And this is what grace is, an unfavorable gift. I'm going to give it to you anyway because I love you. The Bible is a unified story that points to Christ. The story of Jesus, of Joseph, points to Christ. Piripito, Mata, Akura, and Ripaho, they certainly believe that. They certainly believe that I can't just perpetuate the way of me thinking of revenge, revenge, revenge. Christ has set us free. The slave owners certainly believe that. How can I have a slave when they are my brother and my sister? And they let them free. It's time to let yourself free. Never define yourself as a victim. Don't let your past sabotage your future. There is always a choice. And by exercising the strength to choose, we can rise above the situation. You have a choice to be bitter or make the world around you better. That's how we honor God.